You're listening to Sasters Podcast, the best in SaaS content to help you scale up and grow faster. Up today, Saster CEO Jason Lemkin and Mixmax Head of Revenue Don Irwin. Hey, everybody. Hey, all Sasser fans. I wanted to uh, start bringing some folks that I have long relationships with and huge respect for from the SaaS industry to do some deeper dives on topics that, that I know well, journeys I've been on with them together, so we can get special insights on scaling revenue together. And today we've got someone I have uh, incredible respect for, Don Irwin, who's head of revenue at Mixmax. Before that was head of sales at Automile, both of which I was able to watch him in practice from the sidelines. Before that, led sales at Smart Recruiters. And what am I missing before that, Don? Yeah, I was an early employee at LinkedIn. Uh, oh, yeah, LinkedIn. And, and then prior to that, Oracle. And then beyond that is irrelevant at this point. So one fun thing about Don, and this is what I want to dig in, is he has done all the segments of sales. So whether it was intentional or not, um, you have done very, very, very inexpensive price points, right? You did that at Automile, mm-hmm. LinkedIn, which I know less about, right? You've done mid-market and you've done some of enterprise. And you've also right. been in organizations, this is the first one I want to talk about, that have hybrid of free and freemium and sales-driven, which is both exciting mm-hmm. because the company gets a boost because the sales team doesn't have to carry the whole load itself, right? The self-service one at Mixmax does contribute a big chunk of revenue each year, right? But at the same time, there's conflict because you care about... What do you care about sales, right? I mean, you're a team player... You care about the company, but your job is to increase sales, right? Which is only part of the revenue of Mixmax. So how do you deal with this kind of conflict? And and how do you you fight for help when you have a business that's part sales-driven, but part self-service driven? So first for me was I I had to identify who our ICP was by using the data that I learned when I first came in. We have a very viral product and have five years worth of self-service customers that just came and laid down their credit card and started purchasing the product. So identifying who I believe our ICP is from the virality and from the self-serve customers. Uh, Sorry about that. It's ideal customer profile. Okay. So first you Uh, wanted to create a persona, right? Who's who's the buyer for sales, right? Mixmax today has something like 10,000 paying customers, right? So you had to figure out how to mine 10,000 self-service customers and sell, have human beings sell to them. Right. That's a lot. That's exactly to mine. right. It's a lot to mine from. Right. So step one is figure out which of those 10,000 are most likely to buy. Was that step one? That was step one. Yeah. Then the second for me was build an inbound and outbound sales strategy that goes after these customers. So one of the things that I did uh, first was we built out an ABM business uh, sales strategy here at Mixmax. So it's proactively going after those. Once we identified who our ideal customer profile was, it was then proactively going after these guys with both an inbound marketing and heavy outbound strategy that started to drive interest with these ideal customers. They may not have actually heard of Mixmax just yet to start finally paying a little bit of attention to us and responding back to our inbound and outbound messaging uh, to have conversations with us and and have built a team uh, from there. But let's break that down a little bit because outbound is radically different than mining 10,000 paying self-service customers, right? So let's split that up. The self-service ones, first you identify the right buyer. Who can buy? What, what's the cutoff? You want to find someone that can buy 10 seats or 10 licenses or something like that from the right industries? 
Yeah, exactly. We started off here at five. I mean, when I took a look at who our ICP was when I first yep. joined, being that 100% of the business when I joined was self-serve, yes. uh, of the 10,000 customers that I walked into, in all honesty, only a handful of them were buying multiple seats. There were a lot of single seats, a lot of single seat users, but we had a huge number of domains that yes. were purchasing from us that had a couple of different individuals at the same domain buying from us. So that that was kind of an area that I keyed in and I focused on most specifically were those areas where I could find two or three individuals at the same domain that were laying down their own credit card and reaching out to those individuals. So the classic, let's let's spot, let's see if we've got three folks at Coca-Cola or Salesforce or whoever, yep. if we see. And with 10,000, were there specific tools you used to amalgamate all that data? Or were you eyeballing it? Or how did you even just process those 10,000 in the end? So the very first hire that I made when I came on board here was to hire a sales ops person. And this is a sales ops person that I've worked with in the past and basically sat down with him and explained with him what my challenge was, what I was trying to do, what I was trying to accomplish. Not only that, here's the numbers that I've projected for the year that we need to get to as quickly as possible. Help me identify and understand this data that I have access to that I don't know how to mine myself. And he immediately went to work and just started producing reports for me so that I could take a look at how many domains did we have? How many Gmail customers did we have? Where do I think I can get money from? Where do, should I focus my time or should I not focus my time on? So to me, my, the first step was hiring a really good sales ops person that could help me mine this data. That's what they do. It's not what I do. I could take the data and formulate a plan with it. Uh, not really that great in all honesty in, in digging in and getting the data myself. So, you know, it's interesting. What I think what all of us that have been doing this for a while have learned is in past lives, we waited too long to bring on sales ops, right? And yeah. we learned it's a strategic weapon from the beginning. Was this your first hire was bringing on sales ops? First hire. First, first hire. That's what we've learned, first. right? And maybe if you have no customers, it's early. But I think we've all learned that, especially if there's first-time founders listening to this, you're like, what do I need sales ops for? I need a, a VP of sales with a briefcase uh, and a podcast to just go out there and close things. But as soon as you have data, as soon as you have a corpus... Without sales ops, how do you even process a corpus of customers, right? It becomes almost impossible, doesn't it? Well, yeah, you do it wrong for many, many years <laughs> until you figure out that you need a sales ops person to help you make sense of it all. And so you get better as you trial and error throughout the course of time. So when you hire your first head of sales, assuming you have any money, my recommendation is as part of her budget, budget of sales ops leader, Right. And you Absolutely. have to find a way to afford that, even if it means one less AE hire, even if whatever. Now, literally, you can't afford it at all because she's carrying a bag. Like, that's fine. But budget it in six months, but budget it. Like, assume in the first zero to eight months, as early as possible, your head of sales needs sales up and just bake it into your plan. And don't starve her, right? Don't starve her. Or you're not going to sell as much. That's right. So then my sales ops person provided me with a list of accounts that I had to then kind of mine through the information and through the data to try to make some sense of it. And so for myself, it was, you know, identifying those, as I mentioned, identifying those self-service accounts that Mixmex have that have multiple users at the same domain that are paying individually first. Secondly, was also taking a look at any self-serve account, regardless if it's one user or if it's multiple users at the same domain and taking a look at what their usage is with our product. You could have somebody... You can have somebody that's got five 
individuals paying for our license. And if they just log in once every six months and are hardly using it, you probably don't want to reach out. There's no upside there. I think if you follow up and call them, you might remind them that they forgot to cancel their subscription with you. But, yeah, that um, does tend to happen. Uh, it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's taking a look at what the usage score with our product. And then I'm also a big fan of, even though Mixmax is built around, you know, easy communication and we have sequences and all of that one to many tools to reach out to thousands of people with a couple clicks of a button. I'm old school in the sense of pick up the damn phone and actually have a conversation with a live human being. Ask them initially, why did you buy my product? Shut up and listen as to why people are using your product. Learn from the customers who on a daily basis are logging in and using your product and help that to formulate your plan and your personas and how you're going to go out and market both externally as well as what your outbound cadence and strategy is when you're starting to target against your ICP. Let's talk about that for just a second because you know I'm also super passionate about picking up the phone <laughs> and for bigger deals, visiting your customers, right? Especially if they're local. If you're passionate about getting talking to them too, how do you force your sales reps to do that more often? How do you force them to, to talk more and discuss more and meet more? Do you have quotas? Do you have KPIs? Do you lord over them? Yeah. Like what are your tricks to make them have more conversations and less email? Both quotas and KPIs. And, you know, I, I've said this before. I'll say it until I'm blue in the face. People buy from people they like. People buy from people they trust. You cannot in any way, shape, or form. There is no technology on the planet that you can send an email or a text or a smoke signal or a carrier pigeon that can convey over that genuine human interaction that you have with somebody that you truly care about their business. I have a product that can help serve your cha- uh, solve your challenges as equally as I am. Look, if I can't solve your challenges, I'm going to tell you that I can't, and I'm going to wish you the best of luck and shake hands and we'll part as friends. Uh, and you build trust and credibility that way. You cannot do that statically through any software tool or, or anything. You have to either meet them face to face or you have to talk with somebody over the phone. You have to talk to a human being live. You do. All right. One so, last yeah, thing. I'm sorry. So, oh, so go ahead, Don. Sorry. Yep. No, as I say, to answer your question was I have KPIs and metrics uh, and quotas built specifically around this. So my first six months they have and meetings and things each rep has. Yeah, absolutely. I, I started off with some very low KPI metrics from what a traditional outbound, what the industry shares, what outbound, you know, should yield. And I, I at least started off with just a baseline and shared that with the team. So for me, the team needs to do 160 outbound activities per day. Each individual that carries a bag or you're an SDR or you have any type of a quota assigned to you whatsoever is being very specific and very prescriptive to each individual what they need to do on a daily basis. And if I believe in the KPIs, which I am a huge KPI fan, if you do this, this is what we should expect. And then it's managing people. I have weekly one-on-ones with absolutely everybody and we peel the onion back quite significantly to see if they're pacing, if they're behind, if they're ahead, how can I help and go from there. So let's just dig into those two things because I think they'll be so helpful for folks. So let's 160 actions a day for the outbound team, right? What what's that mean? Is that mm-hmm. is that a, a phone call, a voicemail? What is what is a, what what counts to that 160? 
Yeah, it's a combination of everything, to be honest with you. It's a, it's a phone call. It's a, maybe it's a LinkedIn in-mail. Maybe it is an email. Maybe it is sending them something. Uh, maybe it's sending them a coffee card. Maybe it is sending out an invitation for a meeting. Maybe it is confirming a meeting. Maybe it is out of the 160 daily activities, I ask that at least 25% of those, so at least 40 of those have to be phone calls out to somebody. You have to at least be talking. I like that. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, 25%, 40 phone calls out of, out of 160. So how how many of these one-on-ones are you able to do a week? I have a one-on-one with every single AE and SDR on my team every single week. It's basically my Monday, every single person. Yes. Got it. So I, I've written about this myself. We, we all have to force ourselves to do more of them, don't we? We do. And, and you know, the first one's initially out of the gate. You're spending an hour. Yep. Uh, and then as you gain confidence in the individuals that you have on your team, you know, you can cut them down to 45 minutes. You can cut them down to a half an hour. You know, so the top performers on my team, I just need to run a report because every single time I run a report and have a conversation with them, it's squeaky clean. I can just with some people on my, and I'm obviously hoping to get to this cadence so I can have some of my day back to focus on other things. Uh, but you, you know, you kind of know who you have and what you have to work with and how much time you need to spend on, on each, but having a one-on-one weekly, uh, is mandatory. Absolutely. And then just one thing from what you said, I, I want to dig in and then I just want to make sure we can hit like one and a half other topics. But I wrote years ago, sure. it was a learning for me is that should you do inbound or outbound? The answer is yes. You have to do both, right? Almost all of us. Yes. And absolutely. if I'm listening to this podcast, I just heard Mixmax has 10,000 customers. I'd be like, Don, why are you doing outbound? You have 10,000 customers. <laughs> why on this planet Earth would you be wasting your time doing outbound when you have this farm to mine? So the answer is you have to do both, but help us get in, learn from that. Because to many founders or others, that would seem like a shocker. It'd be like, why are you wasting your time doing anything close to outbound? Shouldn't you just be farming, farming, farming when you have this incredible asset, right, in the company? Yeah, but I've learned and I've worked for previous companies where that was their mantra was we have so many customers and just continued a new hunt for new business and not necessarily seem to care so much about the existing business that you currently have. And I couldn't disagree with that more than I could. I'm a big believer in land and expand. And so we've got 10,000 customers, 95% of them because of how old the company is and the majority of our existence as Mixmax has been a self-serve company. We're only a year and a half in building out a direct sales team. So for the yes. first five years of Mixmax existence, it was people just logging into Mixmax.com, slapping down their credit card, buying our product without interaction with any human being whatsoever. I find it foolish for myself to think from an outbound, I consider this outbound because you're not expecting my phone call. This I isn't a teed up. So you when you say outbound, they're, they're probably in your database somewhere, right? They're still in your database. They might be. We, we do both. So 50-50 outbound. When I say we do 40 outbound calls a day, 50% are from people who have absolutely no clue who we are. And 50% <laughs> of those people are going after our self-serve customers right, for good, sure. That makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah, you have to go in and understand and see if you can land and expand. To me, that's some of your easiest conversation that you should have. And, and we've proven it so far in the time that I've been here, just with the, the upsell that we have from reaching out to existing customers and focusing in and growing within a single domain is huge. Right, there's just two more things I, we could chat forever, but there's two things I want to touch on while I have you because you have, you have special knowledge. And we've worked on it together. I want to make sure to hit. One, I want to talk about super low price points. 
So the price point of Mixmax has some bigger customers, but it also has low price points, right? Quite low price points. And we worked together at Automile, which is SMB fleet management, where you had very low price points, but yet a sales team. Yeah. Right? At Automile, you have the lowest price points or for a sales rep of any that I've seen. And yet at Automile, you, you really crushed it. You came in a lot like Mixmax with nothing. There's no, no sales revenue in the U.S., and then immediately hit like 40 to 50% quarterly growth, even with the sales team in downtown Palo Alto, which is like so expensive, right? So, and you've done, at Mixmax, you don't have quite the burden on you because you have bigger customers to balance out the small, but how do you make low price points work in sales? What's the magic? Do you lower the quotas? Do you, do you underpay these poor kids so that they can't, they can't afford to go out to, to Ruby's for dinner? Like how do you make low price points work in SaaS? Land and expand. It's, it's, it's exactly what I just, what I just got done saying. And, yes. and, and AutoMile, in, in all fairness, was the company that I was talking previously where when I came on board, it was, you know, a lot of inbound leads. Take the order, move on to the next customer. Take the yeah. order, move fast, on fast, to the fast, next fast, customer. Right. 50 a day. Fast, fast, fast. And, and, you know, 50 a day. And we were in at the beginning, we were shipping 50 a day. And we ended up getting to a point where we were shipping 150, 200 a day from slowing the sales process down and landing and expanding. At AutoMile, there were companies that were asking us to try our auto device one or two auto devices on it. But this was a company that had 75 vehicles. And to me, once you get an understanding of exactly who it is that's buying from you, if I felt comfortable just shipping two devices to a customer that has the opportunity to buy 75 devices from me, I don't think I'm doing my job right, nor am I teaching my team how to properly sell into an account. So we kind of got rid of the ship it and move on, ship it and move on, and slowed everything down and actually started listening and having further, more in-depth, almost kind of like a CSM or an account manager type of a role, if you will, versus a pure hunter, which was tell me exactly what you're trying to do with our solution, onboarding them, walking them through the product, showing them exactly what it is they want to see. And we were able to get a huge number of those customers to give us those 75 cars. They give us 45 more uh, add-on orders. And so you wanted it all up front. Yeah. You didn't want to close five and get 70 in six months. You wanted to push harder to get all the seats up front? I, as much as I could, but obviously, yeah. in, you know, in sales, it just doesn't work that way. So, you know, <laughs> if we have to ship five now, that's great. But my point is ship five now, but stay engaged. Don't yep. just ship it and then move on to your next person. Ship it and check in in a couple of days. When you know they've received the product, literally spend 20 minutes to walk them through. If you did proper discovery in the initial phone call with them, you know why they want to use your product. You know specifically the type of things they're looking to get from your solution. Walk them through the solution when they first get it. Set that up for them so that they can make an honest judgment or decision if this is the product that I need or not. If you just ship yep. it to them and walk away and leave it up to them to figure it out, I think you're less than a 50-50 chance of that sticking and less than a 50-50 chance of that customer wanting to buy any more from you. And when we originally did that my first few months at Automile, we had more products coming back to us than we did after we started slowing things down and walking people through and actually giving them a little bit of help on what they specifically were looking for our solution to do for them. That's a good insight. Yeah, I'd like to dig on that more, but I want to hit one last thing and then we'll break so this doesn't go too long. Sure. One thing that just, and, and the automile example of five, growing an account from three or five to 70 
is the same question, which I want to talk about. When do you know you're going too far up market? And we're thinking through this at Mixmax now, right? Now that you've joined at Mixmax, when you came in, there was no sales function. And now as the brand grows and you grow, you're getting sucked into bigger and bigger deals. Um, But in both cases, when you have these very broad products, sometimes you can go up market too fast, right? You you can hit it and and Automile would get drawn into these huge deployments that people would get excited, but you weren't ready for a thousand devices, right? And next back about it. So how do you know when you're going to up market as, especially as a revenue leader and how, how do you know how much to push the CEO and push the company to build those enterprise features when it stresses the company to its limit? How do you know how much to go up market? Well, listen to what your customers are telling you. And so your customers will absolutely, this goes back to my pick up the phone and have a conversation with a human being and find out why they're using your product or what they want to use your product for. And so at Automile and both here at Mixmax, your customers will tell you this through trial and error. And, you know, I, if you remember my first month here at Mixmax, I was absolutely my second, in fact, my second day on the job was my, our first board meeting for me, at least yeah. it was. And I was dead certain that we were right for enterprise. And I initially built out a sales plan to go up market and to go up market fast. Then I picked up the phone and started having conversations with our customers. Tell me why you bought our product. Some, some small companies, some mid-sized companies, and some of our largest customers. And what I learned there was is that we actually needed to slow it down and build more of a longer-term strategy for the enterprise. Not to say that we don't sell the enterprise companies today, because we do, but we're more nuanced. Again, first five years was built to the individual or the very small companies, self-serve type of a model to think that we can just flip a switch and immediately go to enterprise and our product is perfectly ready for that was foolish. Most enterprise companies that I've learned here want something maybe specific or custom build or or on a platform that we currently don't support today. And so after having some conversations with your customers, it was the Mixmax customers themselves that kind of helped educate me that as as much as I want to sell $500,000 deals versus $25,000 deals, obviously, it was very easy for me to learn after having some conversations with people that we can focus in on where we're winning today and build a plan around that to get to where we want to, where we're winning today, slow it down a little bit, interact with the product team, interact with the C-level team, and share with them what your customers are saying, what they want, what they like, what they don't like. If you only had this, and slowly build yourself up. You pull yourself up too fast, I think you're setting yourself up for some failures. Don, that's incredible. I think I got about 10 takeaways from this at least, but my meta one, which I hadn't thought about before, is especially if you want to go even a smidge up market and you have a high-velocity business, sometimes it's important to slow it down. If you don't slow it down, you can't learn, you can't have enough conversations, and you can't figure out how to close those bigger deals. And for founders, that may be hard to hear that you might need to slow it down for a month <laughs> to listen. But uh, we've got a couple case studies say that's critical to closing, closing bigger deals. But this is amazing, Don. Thanks for the time. We all love Mixed Facts, uh, and uh, we'll, look, we'll look forward to talking to you more soon. Thanks again, Jason. I really appreciate your time as well.